Satanic Book Club. I'm your hostess, Kat. A few quick bits of information before we jump into chapter one of Elaine Pagel's The Origin of Satan. Uh, as we go through this book, uh, you're going to notice that the first four chapters seem to focus primarily on Judaism and uh, Jewish history and the Old Testament, and then the last two chapters will branch off into uh, pagans and Christian heretics. So we're going to be covering a lot of uh, information about Jews and, and, and Jewish society. And a few assumptions are going to have to be made as we read through this book. One being that uh, in line with the author's uh, view, Jesus was a real living person that existed in history and who died on the cross, uh, that his feats and miracles and divinity were real. The book also assumes that the accounts of Jesus by the gospel writers is truthful and historic, despite what secular history has proven. So let's jump into the first chapter of Elaine Pagel's The Origin of Satan. This first chapter covers the Gospel of Mark and the Jewish War. Now we have two sources of information in this chapter. The first being Joseph ben Matthias, also known as Flavius Josephus, and the Gospel writer known as Mark. Uh, most of this chapter is written uh, with information from Josephus, who wrote about the Jewish war about 20 years after it happened, and it is the only remaining record of this war which I don't know how that works historically um, in regards to validating its authenticity, uh, because I would assume that most historical events uh, from that far back would be verified through multiple records. Uh, but Josephus is a well-known historian. He's actually described as a very vivid historian who claims to have actually joined the war for a period of time. So this war started in 66 CE with a Jewish rebellion against Rome and its occupation of uh, Israel and Jerusalem. It started in the countryside amongst farmers and then spread to the various cities and towns. By 67 CE, the Jewish fighters had actually come into Jerusalem and they were urging the young men within the city to join the revolt. Simultaneously, uh, Jewish elders opposed this revolution and tried to encourage the men to lay their arms down. So during all of this, Josephus is among the fighters, the revolutionaries, and is eventually captured by the Romans and held prisoner. So while in captivity, he announces that he has received a revelation from God that uh, the Roman Vespasian would become emperor. Naturally, this is met with disbelief, but within months of this happening, the current emperor, Nero, was assassinated and three other emperors rose and fell, thus bringing the revelation to fruition. With that, Josephus is released from custody. He is believed to have some sort of divine ability to, to make revelation and is actually sent with Vespasian's son, Titus, to Jerusalem. So now he's going back. Once they arrive in Jerusalem, uh, three factions have formed. You have the priests, 
who are wanting peace between the Jews and Romans, uh, which makes a lot of sense because they were probably doing quite well under Roman rule. You had the revolutionaries who were mostly farmers from outside of Jerusalem itself, uh, not skilled warriors or soldiers. And then you also had an anti-Roman party of prominent Jerusalemites. So this would have been upper-class Jerusalemites who, again, opposed the Roman occupation of their lands. So Titus comes in with his soldiers and Josephus with him. Josephus is viewed as a traitor by his own people uh, because he is now working with the Romans. But at the same time, many of the Roman soldiers suspected him, especially when they faced setbacks in battle. And so the war continues on for quite some time, and eventually Jerusalem falls to Rome, which isn't really that surprising considering how skilled and massive the Roman military was at the time. So then the Roman soldiers swarmed the temple in Jerusalem, and they entered a part of it known as the Holy of Holies. And this is where uh, artifacts were kept that were important and sacred to the Jewish faith, and the claim was that one of those artifacts included the Ark of the Covenant. Now, as far as I'm aware, the Ark is supposed to be this sort of box that holds the original covenant between Abraham and God, um, and sort of sets out the basis of the Jewish religion. And if any of us have seen Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, don't look at it. Do not look at the Ark. So the soldiers then looted the temple and the Holy of Holies and then set the temple ablaze. To add insult to injury, the Romans then continued to defile the site by performing pagan sacrifices on where the temple once stood. While all of this is going on, we also have the first Christian gospel being written during this war or just after the war ended. The author is unknown, but it is attributed to Mark. And again, historians, uh, I think, have debated whether or not this was multiple authors or one. But again, we're going with the basis here that the author is Mark. Uh, the writer knew about this war in fairly good detail and the various factions that existed. And at the same time that this was being written, you also had Josephus writing of uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And we get two kind of polarizing versions of him. The gospel writer is speaking quite highly of Jesus, and Josephus is writing about him with quite a bit of contempt and hostility, and actually places him and his movement within the context of the troubles that are going on in Judea at this time. So the war has ended, the temple has been completely destroyed, the Romans have taken over Jerusalem, and then you have Jesus, who has been causing some trouble for uh, not just the Romans, but also the Jewish priests, uh, arrested as a robber or bandit. Uh, the Greek word used is uh, listis? Listis? I think it's listis. Uh, and that was a catch-all term that was used to describe undesirables, troublemakers, or criminals. So here we have Roman occupation of Jerusalem and Israel, a bunch of lowly working farmers who are tired of the Roman occupation and want control of their own lands, who start a revolt and continue to collect young men. And at the same time, you have Jesus and his followers coming in claiming his divinity and telling everyone that the end times are coming. So there's a lot of turmoil going on. There's a lot of uh, stressors. There's a lot of disagreements. So with all of that going on, 
and the destruction of the temple, Jews everywhere, not just within Jerusalem, but everywhere were affected. And it created divisions amongst the Jewish communities. So you've got, again, the priests who just want to live peacefully, who are probably benefiting from the Roman occupation and is allowing them to carry on however they want. You have the revolters who and revolutionaries who want the rights to their land back, as they claim. And you have Jesus's group coming in, claiming that he is the Messiah, uh, but also even a division within Jesus's followers. You have those who felt that they should have been involved in the revolution against Rome and those who felt they shouldn't. And Jesus being one that refused to fight in the war. So Mark demonstrates this division amongst uh, the Jews that were following Jesus and the Jews that were not. And those kind of in the middle ground. In other gospels, such as Matthew, we see a very pacified attitude toward the Romans uh, in their involvement and what eventually comes to pass. If you're familiar with the story of Jesus and his crucifixion, his trial is overseen by the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, who sentences Jesus to death. Now, the gospel written by Matthew and the other writers um, indicate that the Jewish leaders called for Jesus' death and kind of exonerates the Romans. They make Pilate seem well-meaning and kind of a weakling who's intimidated by the nasty Jewish priests and the crowds. However, historically, first century writers, both Jewish and Roman, completely disagree with this characterization of Pilate. Uh, Pontius Pilate, uh, according to many others, displayed a lot of contempt for his Jewish subjects. He would illegally appropriate funds from the temple treasury. He brutally suppressed unruly crowds and ordered frequent executions without trials. So you have the historical context in where Pilate likely being frustrated and utterly annoyed with Jesus and his group coming in and stirring the crowds with, you know, end time prophecy, uh, who would likely just be like, you know what, I'm done with this guy and we're, we're going to crucify him versus the Gospels where they kind of allay the Roman involvement uh, and emphasize the Jews that disagreed that Jesus was the Messiah and them pushing for the Romans to kill him. And this is where we start to get that demonization happening. And part of this, part of the reasoning behind this softening and pacifying of Pontius Pilate was to ally Roman suspicion of Jesus and his followers. Uh, because they were the ruling class and because at the time the Romans were pagan and they were, you know, very set in conquering and dominating and keeping their way of life, they could have spelled a lot of trouble for the early Christians. So by pacifying and softening the role the Romans played and instead demonizing and villainizing uh, the Jews uh, that disagreed with um, Jesus's divinity, they basically created an enemy for both sides, that being the Jews. So now the Romans and Jesus's followers are, if not in agreement, at least neutral to each other. But these other Jews, they're the bad guys. And then so we see this interest in conflict within the various Jewish communities. And Mark sets out basically two sides. There is his side, that Jesus is divine, and then there are those who rejects Jesus's divinity. And it's argued that the failure of the Jewish war 
And Jesus' message is a battle between good and evil, good through Jesus uh, slash God versus Satan. And so what you have now is either uh, you are on the side of Jesus and uh, one of his supporters and thus with God and good, or you're on the side with Satan. And the argument becomes that uh, the opposing side are energized and fed lies via Satan to prevent Jesus from completing his mission. The reality of it is, is that the real enemy of everyone involved was the Roman governor Pontius Pilate and the Romans themselves. They, they were the real enemies here, but they were also the ruling class. And so it was really important that they not stir them up. Now, throughout most of the story, uh, Satan doesn't really make much of an appearance up until about this point. Um, leading up to Jesus's arrest and eventual crucifixion, he is accused of being in league with Satan because of the healings he performs and his ability to exercise demons, something that only the priestly class could do, and also the fact that Jesus could speak with authority. And this offended the scribes of the time. But on the flip side, Jesus ridiculed the Jewish leaders, calling them hypocrites, and stated and said that his ability to exercise demons and heal the sick was proof not of satanic power, but of God's divinity. So what Mark does in the gospel is he tries to show that the charge of sediation uh, is not only false, but it was also invented by his Jewish enemies because they were unhappy with him. Because again, you have these two sides that are saying the other is in league with the devil. One thing that comes up in Mark is that the Jewish elders uh, met and held a prejudged trial with the pretense of killing Jesus. Um, and at this trial is when Jesus finally admits his divinity. The problem here is that that meeting, that trial, violates Jewish law. You're not allowed to hold those kinds of meetings at night. And in Mark, there's notes of a second meeting in the morning. This is where it gets a little weird because if they had the pretense that they were going to arrest him and kill him anyways, why hold the trial at night? Just do it in the morning the same way you planned on doing it. And I mean, we all know that there are plenty of religious people who are hypocrites. They break their religious rules all the time. Again, we don't know with any real certainty other than what's in the Bible and in the Gospel of Mark as to what's happening here. But the claim is that two trials were held, one at night violating Jewish law, and then one again in the morning. Either way, both trials had been pre-decided and Jesus was going to be crucified. And again, all of this um, blaming of the Jews who did not believe in Jesus' divinity was a defense mechanism. It was a tactic to avoid provoking the Romans um, so that they could continue their work and continue spreading their message that Jesus was the Messiah. And so that leaves us in an interesting place because Mark has set out in the gospel two sides in a war. And it, there is no neutral ground. It's either you're with good or you're with evil. We know in reality when we talk about war, it's very complicated and there's a lot of gray areas and nothing is black and white. But this argument laid out in this gospel is very black and white. You are either with God or you are against God. And what this does is it makes the Jews who don't accept Jesus and who don't become the early Christians in league with Satan. 
and this is where we get our personification of their evilness and where anti-Semitism will start to get its roots from. And that is pretty much where chapter one ends. We have quickly covered, you know, the trial and execution of Jesus, which was a vital part of Christian mythology or is a vital part of Christian mythology. And uh, we have the early foundations of anti-Semitism being laid out by aligning the Jews with Satan. So our next episode is going to cover chapter two, the social history of Satan from the Hebrew Bible to the Gospels. And I want to thank you guys all for your patience with me. Uh, I know that I'm a little late getting this episode out. My schoolwork kind of caught up with me, but I'm finally getting back on track. So hopefully I can maintain this momentum and keep going. If you want to stay in contact with me, if you want to follow what's going on, you can follow me at Twitter at BookSatanic for the podcast. Or if you want to follow me personally, you can follow me at CatTheSatanist. On Facebook, we have our Facebook group, The Satanic Book Club. Please come, like it, leave comments, suggestions, any interesting facts you want to share. You can also reach me by email at thesatanicbookclub at gmail.com. Thank you so much again for joining me, and until next time, drink coffee and hail Satan.